0: On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss the next generation of Linux users. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 83 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like the DLN Discourse Forum, Telegram Group, Discord server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. With me today is Wendy, the Destination Linux Warden of Photography, Hardware, and Software, and Matt, the gaming enabler juggernaut of the DL Network. How are you two?
1: I'm not sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, though I think some of the kids in co-op would probably (laughs) agree especially where on Tuesday co-op we're split into two different teams and the one team had earned themselves a punishment. They're writing me an extra paper this week because of something that they did. So yeah, they would probably agree with that. Mm -hmm.
2: See, there we go. (laughs) Lee Warden. I'm in the same boat you are, Wendy. I don't know if take that as a compliment or as a backhand (laughs) at the same time. Nate, you do that constantly. I don't know why. Take it however you want to take it. It's free to interpret.
1: It's open source to how you take it.
2: Yep. To use a government term, plausible deniability.
0: Sure, we can do that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, part of the course would you need. Yeah,
0: I think about these things like the weeks that I don't intro the show. What can I say about you two that will derail the conversation even just a little bit? That's where they come from.
1: You nailed it.
0: As usual. I did. So, Wendy, what has been going on in your week since we last
1: spoke? If I unmute myself, I will tell you. Not too much has actually gone on this week, and we record on Wednesdays. So last show just dropped 82 as we were recording 83. Yeah, you get things a week behind. That's just kind of how it works at this point. But there's already some really fun comments on the show from last week. One of them was from Olfnik and we were talking about the issue with the keyboard and how I'd had that issue and Linus had had that issue and he actually gives a list of different places that you can find some keyboard setups and options and I'm really curious to go check this list because for the most part it's working just fine. If you use the on-screen keyboard you can get past that physical keyboard not working And if this comes up again, I want to go look at the original file. And then if it's not working properly, go look at this file again and just see if there's a difference and see if it is some kind of setting thing that got changed. You know, who knows? But this is a really interesting tip from one of our listeners. And to be fair, like he is the king of the form, he's always there. He's answering everybody's questions. So incredibly thankful for that. And once again, Showing how awesome he is dropping this little tidbit in here
0: yeah that's really awesome and i totally agree that he is really good about one being absolutely incredibly helpful and showing how to solve problems give advice and also snarky comments from time to time that's great and another reason i love the dl form
1: yes especially where there was another comment he made on last week's show and are arguing over among us if you haven't heard that little bit it's not in the extras it's in the main part of the show left it in on purpose because even while editing i was still laughing at that piece once again
2: still not gonna happen still <laughs> not gonna happen
1: he said that open sus needs to roll out their own version of among us and call it open sus i'm going to tell my daughter this and i know that she will get a crack out of it too i literally laughed out loud and reading that. Thanks. It was a good laugh.
0: Very funny. I totally agree.
1: Matt, it's typically a busy week for me. And it sounded like this week you were extra busy and you caused it.
2: My work machine, which is also my Chimera slash OS machine. I was totally the cause of this. Unlike certain other people, I'm going to totally admit this was user error all the way. I was running Ubuntu Unity 2004. It doesn't ship with a lot of the normal defaults as far as when it comes to some of the gaming stuff. I generically don't use that side of the machine for gaming. It is like I don't even have Steam installed. Like, it's that kind of system. I decided in my infinite wisdom to install Lutris and all of the other things that go with it. Well, that didn't go so well for me. <laughs> I downloaded the community installer for Origin because there was one game I wanted to play, which was Syndicate, which is like a first-person shooter that is not available on Steam. I downloaded Origin, and well, when your software hard reboots your system, there's a problem. Needless to say, I barked my install because of, again, user error. This is totally on me. I went and tried to install a bunch of other distros, actually. I tried Chaos, I tried Solus, I tried just a bunch of other distros. And, well, unfortunately, because this machine has two drives, instead of installing to a 500 gig SSD, I nuked and paid my Chimera OS machine, which was on the other SSD. Oops. <laughs> User error there. So I got to download, like, a terabyte of games again. Oops. Wow. So the Chimera OS machine is back with most of the games installed again. The other drive is now running Garuda, just vanilla, no gaming stuff. I'll use the gamer app if I want to install any of that nonsense. And don't know how it's running because literally I got done installing it before the show. So... (laughs) That'll be fun to finish setting up.
1: I would call it extreme distro hopping, or maybe it's extreme distro repair. Would that be a better? Um,
2: well, luckily, obviously, we're we're using an uh, app to do this, but the machine I'm recording from now is actually my Asus Tough, which is running Garuda, so not a problem because I still have plenty of other machines to rely on. But as far as like long form content creation, that kind of hurt this week,
0: so. <laughs> Yeah,
2: that was a fun, fun week.
1: Yeah, sounds like it.
0: There's a silver lining in it, though. There's nothing quite like that new Linux install smell. It's so fresh. It's clean. It's like a whole clean palette to do whatever awful things that you do to it and have fun. So it is unfortunate that you made some user errors, but, you know, made for me some good laughs on my end to laugh at your misfortunes. So there's that.
2: Well, yeah, (laughs) I totally own that. I can't blame Linux or anything else. Totally user error. Unfortunately, it was weird because slot 1 and slot 2 on this particular machine, normally it would show up in that order on the drive selection when installing any Linux distro. Unfortunately, for some reason, it decided to go to drive 2, which was the terabyte SSD instead of drive 1. Again, me not paying attention, you know, that whole Windows mentality, yep, next, 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 input information, next. Again, totally on me. (laughs) So I own my mistakes and I will totally own that one. Live and learn. It wouldn't be like the first time I've installed Windows or had to install Windows and I nuked and paved the wrong drive or something. Just is what it is. Move on, unfortunately. But I get to reset up a Garuda Linux reinstall, which means I have to change a bunch of KDE crap. That's going to be kind of annoying, but that's just not a Garuda problem. That's a me problem
0: because I have a certain workflow that I have to readjust to.
1: That's always the worst part about starting a new system is the setup, period. At least for me.
0: I'd like to say I've never inadvertently installed over a drive before, but I don't want to lie to you today. I won't say anything at all.
2: Your silence is the truth. I'm not going to lie. It seems I'm not the only one repairing things when it comes to OSs and other things.
0: What about you, Nate? Oh, yes. Well, I had some excitement on Saturday morning. My server and like the switch and everything else, it's all on a, like, a UPS. So if I lose power for whatever reason, it's backed up. And then because it's in the basement of my house, it's switched into a GFI outlet, which is also the same circuit that the sump pump is on, which that's probably a mistake on my end. But I don't want to have to add another circuit downstairs right now. I'm a little bit lazy. I'm not drawing anywhere enough power for that to be a problem. Although I should probably put it on a non-GFI protected leg in addition to it just so it's not affected by this anymore. But uh, what happened was the GFI tripped. The sump pump's been running a lot lately. We've had a lot of water and I mean parts of my property are kind of muddy. It may look like grass but it's not. It's actually a swamp. It just looks like grass. The GFI brake tripped and so my UPS started to beep. And so I had a family member that thought they would do me a favor because I was out in the cubicle labs instead of telling me that it happened and me have to walk back and flip the GFI, she decided that she would turn off the beeping for me, which was not done by resetting the GFI breaker on the outlet, but by turning off the UPS and took everything down as far as the whole network and the server. And it must have happened at a time when the root drive was doing some sort of maintenance or something because the drive was corrupt. I couldn't boot it. It had all this like sector error, sector error, sector error. About eight o'clock in the morning or so, I started the process of rebuilding my server root drive to make it functional again. Now there's a silver lining, I was irritated, but the silver lining is now it's an SSD as opposed to just a spinning rust drive. The smart daemon did say it was time to replace that drive. So it was on the list of things to do. I just didn't want to do it on Saturday, this particular Saturday. That was my excitement this week. Almost everything is back operational. None of my data was corrupted, just the root system. Had I been smart, I probably would have done some sort of ButterFS send to something else, but I don't know how to do that. But anyway, so I got a nice, fresh, clean installation of OpenSUSE Tumbleweed on my server. It's been running great. I don't really notice much of a performance improvement. Nonetheless, it boots a lot faster. So that's nice. Not that I reboot it very often, but it does boot faster. So that's the silver lining. Went from spinning rust to solid state.
1: I think both of you need to just stay away from me. You both had like major system crashes this week and I don't want it. Don't share.
2: in fairness in my case, anyway, that was a total user error. Nate's, at least, was somebody else, not him. It was still a user error. Yes, but it wasn't the primary user error difference.
0: No, but it's okay. Everything's fine now. Everything's set up again, except for my next cloud. I was messing with nextcloud server that I have to start over on. It wasn't really done and deployed anyway. I was just configuring it. So I got to start over on that. Not a big deal. It's just kind of annoying.
2: I definitely understand that given my situation. It's not hard. It's just annoying because you're like, crap.
1: This episode of Deal on Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean. Their new App Platform service helps you build modern, cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Static Sites, Docker, and containers. By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than any other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup, too. As a DLN Extend listener and member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app on their app platform for free. And it gets better. DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co/dln. Again, go to do.co/dln to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend.
0: The three of us are kind of old Linux curmudgeons at this point. We like our technology a certain way. The kind of exploration we're doing is not the same as it was five, ten years ago. And there's a new generation of Linux users, kids or teens or, or people who are just discovering Linux for the first time. This next generation of Linux users, what are they going to be looking for? What are they going to pursue in technology? What is it they're going to like about technology and how will it vary from us? I came from a time when DOS was prevalent, my first computer being a Commodore 64, much different user experience than a Plasma desktop environment running open OpenSUSE. I'm astounded by how far we've come while this next generation of users are just going to expect certain things. So how do you think this next generation of Linux users are going to pick up the baton and keep running with Linux when we're no longer relevant?
1: It's amazing to me how flexible the students have been. And I guess it shouldn't actually be amazing, especially where I'm handing them typically a system with Plasma on it. Yes, things are named differently, so I do have to help guide them through the file manager is named Dolphin or the like, the thing that they struggle with the most is not necessarily using some of the applications or finding them. It's more in the file structure that they struggle with. As we've been working with HTML and they have been gathering pictures and inserting them into their HTML files, it is having to talk them through multiple times, this is the file structure, this is the file path, and making sure that caps lock isn't on or say that photo folder image folder that is capitalized and so they're like it's not working i can't get my image in this document well it's typically because the file structure is wrong so they are so good at this point with navigating a lot of the gui stuff the basics where I see some of them are lacking in those skills. And I would assume that they are still finding documents on their Windows system. Or is it that at home, they're not using a full computer anymore? They're just using a tablet. And so they're not looking for files anymore. But that's one thing I've noticed during the process of teaching this class is file structure and teaching that it's just brand new to them.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because growing up, I had a filing cabinet growing up. So in my 20s, I used a filing cabinet to keep you know, important files and so forth. In fact, I still have a filing cabinet. And I treat my computer much like a physical filing cabinet where I sort things and order my file system in the same way that I would sort and order my filing cabinet. For kids these days, that maybe a lot of them, you know, they've never had a Rolodex or they've never had to do anything with sorting files or papers. So I'm wondering if there's kind of a loss of value in organizing your file structure. You know, on a phone, I don't have to go to a folder with specific photos. I just go to my photos and then it has things in albums. But where they're actually stored on the phone is actually a mystery to the user interface. You have to dig a little bit to figure that out. And I wonder if maybe that's a bad thing.
1: And I wonder how that will change the user interfaces of the future if your average user isn't looking for file structures, what does that mean for the GUI even in your quote-unquote file browser?
0: Well, I know that already Plasma, they have the whole search function. So it's indexing your file system already. And so if you want to search for something, just like a photo on a particular date or a document, that contains a specific word, you don't actually have to know where you put it on your file system. Those things already are existing in Linux. But I feel like that's a really bad practice, like to not have things organized and to rely on a search function.
2: Yes and no. Like the organization thing, I get where you're coming from, they filing cabinets. Uh, go use the old library index search and stuff. <laughs> yeah, card, card catalogs catalog? and stuff. Uh, but I definitely get where you're coming from. Makes you wonder if people are going to have the organizational skills. And I don't mean like how they organize their life and structure. Like generically, organization is seen throughout one's entire life as far as are you chaotic with one thing? Well, generically, you're probably going to be chaotic in another thing as far as how you structure stuff. So I get where you're coming from and solely relying on a search function can be potentially problematic. But you got to remember, we're looking at the next gen in our old curmudgeony ways. The next generation is just going to have a different way of doing stuff. It might not be as pretty or as elegant or as potentially structurally organized, as we might like. That's just kind of what they've grown up with, though. They all rely on a search function of some way, shape, or form. Oh, let's go back to, like, the late 90s with the search engines of, like, Ask Jeeves and Alta Vista and all those. Man, those search engines were painful, to say the least. Honestly, they've gotten accustomed to being able to find Exactly what they're looking for, for the most part, from things like Google and Bing and even Yahoo to a certain extent. That's just what they know. For all its pros and cons, it's great to be able to find exactly what you're looking for, but trying to understand exactly where it's coming from or where it was structured to be, that can be a detriment too because they might not have the organizational skills. Again, we're not viewing it from our chromogeny experience. we got to view it from their generational gap that we have in the viewpoints, obviously.
0: I see what you're saying, but well, one, I know people around my age that have awful desktops, uh, both physical and on the computer, as far as how they organize stuff. So I, I don't think that's a generational thing so much as a skill to keep things organized. And I can't remember who it was exactly, but I remember there was a discussion that somebody had about user experience They were baffled by the idea that you would have to even know where files are on your computer. Like you shouldn't ever have to worry about that. If you want to document, everything's just happened automatically, which does happen on mobile devices, I guess, largely. But I still find that kind of a bonkers way of looking at file systems. But, you know, again, that's my perspective. So then do you think maybe we should be educating the next generation on organization?
2: Personally, for me, I think we should be introducing and educating them on the technology. In this particular case, like the example you're giving, that's going to be, A file system stuff, so like they would have to understand, you know, certain things go with dash user dash bin, and as opposed to whatever operating system file system you want to use, where that stuff is. Like, if you go on Android, you know, where photos sometimes it's not in photos, sometimes it's in DCIM, and you know, all these other weird esoteric kind of things. And I think sometimes the naming of things, there's not a non programmer logic to some of the file systems and the naming conventions to get to that stuff. You know, you could call it a dumbing down of the system, but I think a cleaning up of a file system, like naming-wise, would probably help people want to kind of actually organize their stuff. It's not always cut and dry. You know, you have a photos folder that's pinned to the tab in the home directory for most things, you know, your photos, videos, downloads, all that kind of stuff that's pinned in your home tab, essentially, and to easily find. So I think stuff like that, where it's much easier for a user to find, is something that should be explored more often. And as far as the education aspect, I'm more interested in, though, how the younger generation that we have, I know Wendy and Nate, you guys have kids that they rely on, specifically Lennox, to do all their stuff. So I'm more interested to in see what you've observed, though, with their interaction with Lennox as a daily driver, I guess the best way to say it, as far as getting their stuff done, how that might be different than the way we interact with it.
1: For the most part, I really don't see much difference in the interaction. My daughter uses her personal Linux system almost every day when she's dealing with class stuff and the like. The biggest thing that she does different with hers is art. And I have my own version of art, right? Mm -hmm. Both of us are very visual and mine's photography, though she is taking a photography class this semester. And hers is more painting and drawing and the like. And so... One of the ways that she uses her Linux system, and it's one of those things that people who started out in Linux may not have ever seen this coming, is sometimes she will draw it physically on paper, scan it in, and then finish coloring it, adding the finishing details to it on the software side. In Krita. Sometimes she will draw it on Krita and finish it there, and then other times she will draw it there, print it out, and then add other colors to it. So she's doing all kinds of mixed media with her Linux system very fluidly, but she also doesn't know any different. Last time that we had a Windows system in this house, actually, we had a Windows system last year because the fact she was taking a Minecraft class and the only way to get the education edition of Minecraft was to run it on Windows at that time. It might be different now, year later, things update so fast, but at that time last year, it had to be running a Windows system. For the most part, She didn't like it, but some of that was the time that it took for things to update. And she was already really, really used to how things worked in Linux. She was comfortable with that. So the second that she didn't have to boot into that anymore, it was like, yes, I can go back to what I know. My kids have just been raised on Linux. And anymore, it's a mixture of both Linux and Android, though we do have an Apple device. They're so used to things being touchscreen, the laptops that I have that they use all of the time because I claim that the Surface devices, one is mine and one is my husband's. Yeah, we use them, but the kids still use them more for school-related things. One of my kids will come in and they'll grab my Surface tablet, ask me to log in because, yes, I have a password on all of that stuff. We've had an incident where... At the time, my youngest, three, put a password on the Apple tablet, and I had to pay 40 bucks to get it unlocked. We're not doing that again. Everything, regardless, has a passcode, so a kid can't accidentally add one and not be able to get into a device. So if it was an Android one, I could just wipe it and it'd be no big deal. (sighs) Not so easy with Apple stuff. But they will have me log into the Surface Pro 6. They will take keyboard off of it and then go use it so they're using linux but they are using it in a very touch screen way and that's not the way i like to use my linux system that is definitely a big difference between us while i do love the touch screen capability of those devices i'm a stickler for my desktop i love my desktop system Yeah, the tablets are nice to pack around, but it's even my kitchen system. I like that physical keyboard. I like those components that are easy to access. And the way that they are going to use Linux in the future and maybe the way that they will help drive this could be more of a touch-centric form of using their software and hardware.
0: That's a really good point because most of the computers that are around are laptops. Computers that they use are generally laptops. They're also more used to the touchpad than they are a mouse. In fact, my oldest prefers the touchpad over the mouse. I have been known to, from time to time, just totally disable the touchpad so he's forced to use the mouse because I think it's a better interface. I realize that maybe it's the better interface for me and not for him. Although if you're doing CAD there's no way you can do that with a touchpad. A touchpads basically useless for CAD, basically. And that's actually it's interesting to think about that way. I mean, they're comfortable with a keyboard. I don't have a touchscreen laptops. They are comfortable with like inputting information to the keyboard, and I have them do like tux type, just some games, whatever that they can sort of play. I'm not forcing them like do home row key, just as a way of being comfortable with what the where the location of the keys are at this point. But I mean, that's actually really interesting to think about being more touch centric because you know all my life the idea of a touch interface, especially growing up, was like a dream. Like, wouldn't it be cool if? And now it's ubiquitous.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think about my youngest because, of course, he does the least amount of typing where. The touch input is just so much easier, especially with the type of things that he's doing, just to make sure that he is a proficient typer, whether he will need that skill or not. But in case he does, it's one of those things that I am going to have to actively say, we have to work on this as part of your life skills. It's just like right now we have... A generation that's growing up not learning how to read cursive, and I would hate to be my child to get to the point they're like, yeah, I can't read this, or not being able to properly perform a task somewhere in their adult life because that was left out and I'm not saying that touch is a bad thing it's an amazing way to be able to use a graphical interface it is so nice for some of the other learning games that he plays to where yes fine motor skills are important for him to learn but there are certain times where I don't want him necessarily so much focused on trying to get the mouse where it's supposed to go and just focusing on what he's doing in math or what he's doing on the reading side of it but the skill like cursive that may be going away, that might be changing just because the sheer nature of how hardware in itself has changed and software, including Linux, is adapting to those changes and what people are wanting to use them for.
2: The next generation of like Linux users and how they interact with the technology is going to be vastly different than what we have grown up and become accustomed to. The keyboard and the mouse and the the interface. And you were saying, Wendy, you hand anybody... like like our generation, a surface device, we're like, where's the keyboard? <laughs> you know? Whereas if you hand anybody of the younger generation, they're used to the Android experience, the iOS experience of, you know, typing on a tablet or a phone or interaction with what is considered a computer is totally different than what we're accustomed to as being a computer. That goes the same with the OSs, like bringing up GNOME as an example, when you have a touch device and you hit the text field, entry and the keyboard pops up you're like, like as a, Linux user, my brain has like a almost an aneurysm for a second. It's like, what, huh? Because I'm used to the physical keyboard. I'm talking as someone who got you into the Surface devices. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things where it's an adjustment in the the use case of the technology because like Nate said too, back when we were kids and stuff, like the Star Trek dream was all the, the cars kind of stuff. All touchscreen all the time. And now we're like the old curmudgeon, give me my mouse and keyboard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like I'm having one of those old people moments. Back in my day, and I'm really not that old. I was just thinking about my great-grandpa. All of my family had kids fairly young, and so I got to have a really great relationship with my great-grandparents on my mom's side. My great-grandpa was very proficient in using a computer. He liked to record things off the TV, whether it was like movies, kids shows, all kinds of things. We had a VHS tape of DuckTales for years that my great-grandpa recorded for me, just to let you know.
0: he had a great taste then.
1: I know, right? The way he logged (laughs) all of that stuff, because I mean... He had just tons and tons of all of these VHS tapes on shelves, just bookcases full of them, except for instead of being books, they were these VHS tapes. And he needed a way to catalog them. He did all of that on a computer system back in the 90s and was extremely good at keeping track of all of that. Now, if I was to hand him, unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. If I was to hand him my Surface device today or My Android tablet or my phone and be like, hey, you could use this to keep track of it too. That would be an overwhelming experience. And I wonder what is that going to be for me? Because I'm so used to using my system this way. Here's old mommy using her system like this. And in 20 years and 30 years, what am I going to look at and be like, uh, you need to teach me how to use that? I'm hoping I'm more like my great grandpa and just kind of stay up to date with it as I go for the most part, instead of of abandoning it which i don't think any of us would i think most of us would be kind of following the trends as we go but what are the things that are going to pop up that our kids will come up with this new generation of linux users will come up with that we can't even imagine we can't even fathom using our device that way
2: yeah definitely i'm in that same boat like you I was a BlackBerry user for the longest time. Even to this day, I will always say, give me a physical keyboard on a phone. I put up with virtual keyboards, but it's not my favorite. It's not my wheelhouse. It's not where I want to be when it comes to a typing experience on a phone. I like that tactile feel. But on the same note, it's one of those, I got to adapt with what I got around me. I think that is something that the next generation that is currently coming up is going to be a lot better about doing than, let's be honest, a lot of us are because technology for them has changed so rapidly. Ten years ago, when Android and iOS were just kind of uh, getting off the ground and really hitting their stride to be computers for most people at this point, the rest of us were like, still curmudgeony, let me get on my desktop kind of deal or my three inch thick laptop kind of stuff. (laughs) Like, that's where most of us were. But we have folding phones now. We have slab phones. We have the Surface devices that are more horsepower than most of us could have dreamt of back in the early 2000s for computers the morphing and changing of the operating systems is just so different and so much faster paced than what it used to be that I think this generation, if anything, when it comes to being Linux users, they're going to be more willing to adapt than a lot of us who are the late 90s, early 2000s kids where we're more stuck in our ways than a lot of people as far as this is a release to technology, I think.
1: I think we definitely still have some flexibility ourselves though, because I'm just looking at the specs of my very first smartphone and yeah my current one that's two years old could eat this alive and i've changed a lot in just the short time since they've been around we still have some flexibility but maybe not as much as the young or the younger generation coming up
0: i agree with wendy because as much as i like old technology i'm actually glad we gave up optical media as this is how i have to pop this thing in just to play a game even dare i say this floppy disks as much fun as I already use from time to time just for fun. I would hate to have to rely on them again. I am so much happier with how things are now than how they were. I mean there's some nostalgia and some joy I get out of the tactile media, old box copies of Warcraft 2 Tides of Darkness that I can see from my desk. I'm actually okay with giving some of that stuff up. You know, I mixed on it because I like the physical media for games as well. The way the Switch, Nintendo Switch, handles it with actual like little game carts again. I actually prefer that to the optical media of the Wii U. I think it's more practical. So I'm willing to give up things if they're not practical, but I'm not really willing to give up things that are practical for something that might be cool, I guess.
1: Well, we already know that sometimes the best technology doesn't always win out in the race for adoption, because there have been some things along the line that are better, but this new thing takes its place even though the technology jump isn't a positive move or isn't the most positive move of the different choices that are out there. And I'm sure that will still continue along the line. We've talked about this a bit as we've been discussing phones and that kind of thing. There's all kinds of technology that is dropping off phones. Some of it's being added. The things that are being lost aren't always positives that they're being lost and the things that are being added aren't always a positive ad they don't always give the user an overall better experience or it's not an experience that is as beneficial as it should be for the price jump that is coming with this thing and that's just part of trial and error it's people using technology. And we're not always rational about some of these changes that are coming up. I'm hoping as the time goes on, as this next Linux generation moves forward, they'll be able to take a step back and say, you know, these are maybe older technologies, but they're still worth keeping around. Having that physical media is so nice in some ways. You know, you don't have to worry about if you've lost internet connection or some sort of communication along your network you have this physical version of it that you can put it in if you actually have a device that can play it anymore i've actually found that to be a problem in our house recently trying to find a device that'll play a cd because as i was digging through my closet i found one and i'm like oh my gosh i want to play this uh yeah yeah. Right now, I can't find anything that will actively play it at the moment, though I think I can stick it in the Xbox. Hey, we might have one thing that'll work.
2: The Xbox should play the CD, at least. I would hope at this point, yes. not less than Microsoft and their infinite wisdom like they did with Windows 10. We're going to charge you for codecs.
1: Yeah, they haven't so much on that one, especially where it's an older model. It's one of the Xbox Ones. So I think we're pretty safe on that one.
2: Quote unquote, last gen. Yes. But no, like, I definitely agree. As technology evolves, as everything else evolves, I think some things are worth keeping, uh, Nate, I'm like you, you know, I, I very much like physical media as far as not just games, but when it comes to movies and stuff, because like Wendy, what if your network goes down, you know, what if the hard drive that you had all your Plex stuff on for insert storage, medium fries, you don't have a backup. There's all the what ifs. So to me, having those physical things is something that's nice to have as that backup. Cause it's like, I know this is going to work. The problem with that was some people don't always want to admit is that when it comes to CDs and DVDs and that kind of storage medium, we do have that thing called bit rot, unfortunately, when things don't get used very much. So it is a thing.
1: And scratches.
2: Scratches and kids using those little discus Frisbees. Uh (laughs) Uh
1: huh. Yes.
2: Like I said, I think the upcoming generation will be more adaptable than we were adaptable because we grew up in that internet age. So like we were there for the beginning of like the aims and, you know, Yahoo messenger, like all the IM stuff. And then it morphs into what we have now with things like WhatsApp and all the other stuff, not that that's a good thing. I'm not, but that's just the evolution of the technology and stuff. I'm just saying.
1: That's where we're at right now.
2: (coughs) Matrix. Matrix, if you want the better one. There is that evolution of technology that it took for us seeing it like 20 years to get to where it's at. But we saw it in its infancy with the the Web 2.0 stuff and everything else. That gap has shortened with the release of it, like things like Android and iOS and other various mobile platforms to like in 10 years, things are where we wouldn't thought they would have been back in 2010. I think that is a very big indicator of the level of growth and willingness to adapt that has changed from our generation to say the upcoming one, honestly, for me anyway.
0: So we'd like to get your take on the Linux user of the next generation. What technologies do you think are going to stick around? What do you think are going to go away? Uh, What technologies will you just not let go of? Let us know. Leave us a comment. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security. All to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. For free, Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com/dln to get started for free. It's only ten dollars for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault health reports, and more. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com/dln to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a Serious Jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. So, Wendy, i have been conducting some searches, and they're related to the phone area of your life. Is this true, or are you just teasing?
1: It is true. I've talked about it a bit here in the past, but it's mostly been related to what Magneto needs. And he's pretty much settled on wanting a samsung device mainly because he really likes the radios in it or at least how it's related to one that his friend has and where it has been able to get service and his current phone hasn't since we're pretty much settled on him it's time for me to also get a new phone the one that i'm using right now which is the exact same model that magneto is using one of the last updates on this device has completely messed up Bluetooth. It's made Bluetooth extremely difficult to use where I don't have a Bluetooth radio currently in my car, but I have to be hands-free in order to be legal. I have my little Bluetooth adapter where typically have music or something like that going. And if we have music going and then the phone rings, it won't answer through that Bluetooth connection, it answers through the handset. And then I'm not legal to drive in order to start the music back up again. You have to unplug and replug it back in. And that has nothing to do with the Bluetooth device itself. And it has everything to do with whatever this last update did. My husband has had very similar issues with his phone where he will have to turn his Bluetooth headset on and off after receiving a call if he's going to get the next call through the headset. Unfortunately, because what we are using, there hasn't been an official unlock or even a side unlock of the bootloader. I haven't been able to install third party ROMs on it. There's no way to roll that back to go back on that horrible update. They are two years old, so I wouldn't say that they're horribly old devices, though. You know, as I've talked about, my husband's is pretty much dead with all the dust and grease. He's Also just got a new job and yes, he's still going to be mechanicing, but he won't be in the dirt as much. And so I'm hoping that his next phone will last longer, but since he's decided what he wants, I've been back and forth about what I want and I've pretty much settled on two different devices. I'm either going to go the Pixel 6 or the OnePlus 9. And in the battle of these two devices, right now, if I went with the 9... And there's an advantage where they're already running sales on these where they've been out since March. So some of those holiday discounts are coming along. Awesome, awesome. But if I went with the 9, from the day that it shows up, I could immediately unlock the bootloader and put Lineage on it. Day one, it could be running Lineage. For the Pixel 6 device, we already have Root, which is really cool. You can unlock the bootloader already. I've seen something along the lines of that, but there are no ROMs available for it right yet. It just dropped the end of October. One of the biggest issues I'm having as I'm looking at this is neither one of these devices has expandable storage. I know we were talking about being old fuddy-duddies and stuff going away, but I'm bummed that I will be going from a phone that does have expandable storage to potentially one that doesn't. Now, there's not a whole bunch that I have on my phone as far as space that's used up. My current device has 125 gigs. It does have an additional 125 gig SD card in there, but if I was to combine what was on both of them, neither one would be full. So space-wise, that would probably be best to go with one of the mid-size models, 256 gigs on those devices. The other thing that I'm kind of back and forth on them is I don't really use the camera on them all the time. The Pixel 1, especially going Pro will have more of a telephoto. An actual zooming lens, whereas for some reason they put a black and white camera on the OnePlus, and I don't understand why you would put a black and white camera on a phone like that. That's really weird. I know, right? I love shooting in black and white. I think it is an amazing art form, especially when you're shooting a picture for the purpose of it being black and white. You can play so much more with the contrast levels because you're not dealing with color. Those different shades of gray really had the depth and the feeling to the picture so I have nothing against black and white but I think it's really strange to take up space for a sensor that is only black and white where you can shoot an image for the purpose of it being black and white and change it in post, so then you have that sensor that can do both options. I don't know, it's just really weird. As far as specs for both of them, they're pretty same across the board. The other thing that I'm not really sure of, and I'd love to get your guys' opinions on this, is I know if I go with the OnePlus, it's gonna be that tried and true Snapdragon processor that we've had around for years. If I go the Pixel route, we're now dealing with a completely new processor that this is its first device launch. I don't know if I want to be on that first generation. I do, but I don't. Because this is a phone that I've used this last one for two years. I'm probably going to be using this one for another two years. Either one of these phones, when I am ready to upgrade, then it'll become an upgrade for my daughter. That's typically with the way that we do it. Either one of these devices, they're should be additional ROMs out there, so I'm not worried about keeping the software on it up to date because I should be able to do that where both of these are pretty open. There's typically a very good community around these devices for third-party ROMs. I don't know. First generation or go tried and true Snapdragon.
0: I've never gone first generation of anything and that served me pretty well. Okay, that's not true. I have gone first generation once with something and that was a very painful experience because it was a Core 2 Duo when it first became 64-bit a few years ago. I had so many troubles just getting things to work properly on it initially that I, mean, I worked through it and it was fine. Eventually it was fine. That was actually the lesson that I learned from that point forward that I would always buy a generation behind just to make sure that things kind of worked out. So for me personally, I'm not going to go for new. I'm also not the typical user. I just don't want to deal with cutting myself on the bleeding edge of technology.
1: The reviews I've seen on this for the most part, I haven't seen any real complaints about the processor itself. Yeah, there's talk about the benchmarks are less, blah, 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 blah. But when you're looking at real world applications, after- application and you have two phones side by side and the one that quote-unquote has slower benchmarks is still opening faster. uh, Benchmarks don't always matter. Real-world experience does. The other thing that I've been wondering about, Google in itself, they've always been pretty good on the back end to use the processing power in their phone to make the images from their cameras look really good. It's been one of the standards in the industry people that compare phones all the time is how does it compare to the Pixel which is kind of cool considering that their hardware hasn't been updated until this phone they've been using the same basic hardware and getting more and more from that hardware with the processing that they're doing in the back end with the algorithm stuff we've talked about this a little bit before especially on the shut up and take my money episode where we were discussing the PinePhone Pro and what was going to be happening with its camera. So because they're relying so much on that extra processing, and I know that I'm getting these phones with the intent of not using stock software With using a custom ROM on that, how will that make a difference in those images? Because when I do take a picture with my smartphone, I still want it to look good. I still want it to be usable. I still want that memory to be as clear as possible in that image. So what is that difference going to be, especially where this is a new processor? I'm leaning more towards the OnePlus One for that reason that you gave. But part of me is like, gosh, dang it. I want to try the new... That's the hardware side. That's the hardware addict side that's coming out is I really want to get my hands on this brand new chip and see what all it can do. See how I can use it. We're going from hardware to software. Roll us into that game of the week, Matt. I don't
2: know what you're talking about, Wendy. I would never be a gaming enabler, even though Nate said at the top of the show. I totally am. (laughs) So this is a action RPG based in Chinese mythology. Now I've done one other games like this, and this was a Zhuan Sword. This one is actually called Sword and Fairy 7. This is the seventh game in the series. They also released a game earlier, Sword and Fairy 6, Chinese Paladins and something. I don't remember the total name of it, but this is a much, 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 upgraded version. As far as that, this is running on the Unreal 4 engine. I just love these type of games because we don't get a lot of them in the West. The Chinese mythology and stuff is really interesting because we don't see a lot of it. And they do a really good job of presenting it. From what I've played so far, the action is fairly good, solid um, as an action RPG. Kind of violent, not going to lie, most action RPGs are. But this is definitely one of those games, if you like Chinese mythology or story-heavy games, this is definitely something that's going to be up your alley. There's a lot of exposition dumps as far as it just throws a lot of the wording and stuff at you. And if you're not steeped in any kind of the Chinese mythology at all... It's going to seem overwhelming. You're going to be like, but what's this? What's that? From a story perspective, if you take some time, Kind of, it's kind of like Lettix. If you take some time to dig into maybe a little bit of that stuff, you'll see a lot of uh, interesting stuff that kind of nods and other stuff to it. But it's definitely a game that I thought was worth getting. So I actually bought it new, which I generically don't do. I'm a cheapskate when it comes to games.
1: So what is the difference new? Is this a pretty expensive game? Uh, new, no, it's not or?
2: generically expensive. I think it's like 30 bucks, give or take. But for me, it's just I'm not usually one to go and buy buy a game when it comes out day one this came out i had it on my wish list and i got the announcement that it came out and i was like oh well (laughs) looks like i'll be buying this today so i bought it the day it came out i'm not a day one game purchaser usually there are very few games that i will do that with this is one of those games because i had been following it for a while so and i like the last game that the developers put out so i tend to support developers (laughs) of games that i like and Day one purchases at full price are one of the ways I do it.
0: It certainly looks cool. Probably not my style of game, as far as the animation. That was
1: last week.
2: Nate, if we haven't gotten to this point yet, yeah. any game made past 1990 is too new for you.
1: He bought the game last week.
2: He bought the game last week, and he's I also did. on an episode of Gamesphere playing Tesla Effect, which is out in 2014. So
0: <laughs> It has some really neat cinematography, if we can call it that. I probably don't have the emotional energy to invest in such a game. It is very, like, visually very stunning. I like it. I mean, not for me, but I like it.
1: (laughs) You can appreciate the art style with it not being your kind of game, for sure.
0: Absolutely.
2: It's kind of like me and OpenSUSE. I can appreciate OpenSUSE, but it's not for me.
0: Well, that's because you're misguided.
2: (laughs) (laughs) About as much as the Wi-Fi installation, Nate. (laughs) And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I like that. While I'm recommending games and out in the virtual, Nate, you're working on something that's a little bit different, but still in the virtual.
0: I am. I've been making my uh, cubicle estate smart, as far as like smart switches, controllable switches. I don't think that the term smart switch is kind of dumb because they're not really smart. They're just controllable switches that you can add rules to. So whatever, smart switches. Well, I have a, uh, a couple different systems, I guess you could say. One is it's called Insteon. It's a system I started with in my controllable, smart controllable journey, you could say, I found that it was less expensive to use some of these ESP based devices, a lot more cost effective, and they have a lot more options are controllable, I can flash my own firmware on and so forth. I have a situation where on one end of the Bay Area of my uh, cubicle labs, I have the actual physical switch that is controllable to turn the main lights on and off. And the switch for that used to be on the other side of the building where you could turn it on there and people would walk in. And so there's been some confusion by family and whatnot as far as like how to turn those lights on. So I created a virtual three-way switch using MQTT for signaling from the one switch that would send a message to home assistant to turn it on. And then what home assistant would do then is keep the two switches synchronized since the switch i added the remote virtual three-way switch has a light on there you know it actually will indicate green for on and red for off i want to make sure that that would stay synchronized with the state of the actual light so i created some rules basically took four rules to do this so that when the light is on it'll send a message to that switch from home assistant that, hey, the light's on, show a green light, or hey, the light's off, show a red light. I'm really happy with how it turned out when I showed other members of the family that they could do this now and they could stop complaining. They didn't really care. But I guess that's how it goes with non-techies, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's still a learning process for family that comes over the, how do I just turn on a light? Well, it's different at my house. Well, your house. I'm going to learn from you.
0: I tried to make it simpler, but they just didn't care. I'm like, oh, okay. No, you understand, <laughs> I, I had to do all these steps to make it work. Yeah? Okay. It also did require some rewiring in the panel, the service panel, to make it work. The original switch is very incorrectly wired. It was a real botched job and actually very frightening. The neutral from from that switch originally it was actually wired into the hot of the other side of a whole nother circuit. And so I had to basically undo a lot of this stuff. So it was a lot of work that you don't see that's hidden behind a panel. It's more correct now. The panel's got a lot of work to do yet. I'm cleaning up the panel and I gave everyone a remote switch so they can stop complaining. And basically they just stop complaining. They just don't care. So but I'm excited and I'm glad I got it done. It's another one of those like things checked off the list of making my place better. Uh, so here I am. As an event reminder, tune into Matt's 24-hour gaming stream to raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. This will be starting on December 13th at 9am and go into the 14th. There's a list of games that the whole community can participate in. Some of the creators of the Destination Linux Network will be there, so stop by, have some fun, and most of all, troll Matt. Details of this upcoming stream is on the DLN Discourse Forum. Be sure to leave a comment. I think Matt has all the games fleshed out already. He said no... To uh, Among Us, which you should say yes, but this is Matt's stream, so I guess I'll give him a bye on that one. I won't. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should do Among Us. Among Us is just fun for everybody. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at DestinationLinux.network. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, See the links at the bottom of the show description or drop us a message on the contact form by visiting dlnextend.com contact. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store and grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag along with other shows from across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone.